Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So this began with the great Chris Pratt, whom God preserve, who plays Andy Dwyer in uh, sitcom Parks and Recreation, with which we're all familiar, aren't we? We are, indeed. And Andy Dwyer is a wonderful character because he's a feckless no-good who only lives for his terrible indie group. That's the only thing that matters to him in, in his life. Uh, and um, and what's interesting about it is that, is that never at one moment does Andy Dwyer recognise that a band is supposed to be there for the paying public or the audience. No, the band is there for Charlie Andy Dwyer. Charlie to entertain themselves. <laughs> yeah, which is so so kind of indie, isn't it? So student. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, there's a wonderful sequence in uh, Parks and Recreation. It's not on anymore, but you can catch up with it on YouTube or whatever, where he... He and apparently Chris Pratt just improvised this list uh, yeah, to camera of all the past names that his band had had, had. and I'm just going to run through them now. They were Teddy Bear Suicide, Mouse Rat, God Hates Figs, Department of Homeland Obscurity, Flames for Flames, Muscle Confusion, Nothing Rhymes with Orange, followed by. Everything, Everything rhymes with right right right. <laughs> Punch face champions, rad wagon, puppy pendulum, possum pendulum, penis pendulum, handrail suicide, which has got something something about handrail suicide that's got the right number of syllables somehow for that kind yeah. of that yeah, kind of name. Angel snack, and then my personal favourite, just the tip, uh, which is <laughs> which is that. The Scarecrow Boat, we had them. That's the last one. We get then uh, just the tip is followed by Three Skin, Jet Black Pope, and Scarecrow Scarecrow Boat. Boat. And so they're they're an absolutely brilliant list. And so I I posted on Twitter, said, you know, we're 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 doing a bit of a survey of people's of names of people's uh, people's past bands and many. Many were the responses. Some from um, friends of the pod, or people we've had on the podcast, or, or word in your attic, or whatever, over the last year. Henry Priestman, who we may have talked about this when he, when he was on Desmond's Leg, and then Albert Dock and the Cod Warriors. I think he talked about. 
<laughs> Sid Griffin, slightly more, slightly more straight, actually, Sid's. Uh, the Frosties, The Unclaimed, House of Wax, and Death Wish. Will Birch had a group called No Soap Radio and the Rollers in 1971. Which is pretty That's ahead of the game. It's, I would have thought Cheers. so. Yeah, yeah. Martin Waits, Tractors Are Go and Dennis. Uh, Mark Bellingham, Lord Snooty and his pals. That I think that's fantastically that's good. Not fantastic. It's a bit like Richard Thompson had a group with with uh, Hugh Cornwell called uh, called Emil and the Detectives. Absolutely, it's just somebody and the somebodies. You know, it's no, Emily, Emily and the Detectives. Emil, sorry, Emil, Emil, Emil and the Detectives. I think was the name of a children's book. It was. I, it, it was. was that's the whole it? point. Okay. Yeah, that, that's that's the gag. So, uh, and the other one that Mark, uh, th- this is showing his future as a writer. His other proposed name was Misspelt Ruth. Uh, if you so, the idea is that truth is misspelt as R U T H. Sorry, you'd have to see it on a poster. Of which more <laughs> later, actually. Uh, Danny Baker says he had a friend of his wife was a lead singer in a group called Hepatitis Risk. And I love this. Rob Manuel says syphilis. We yeah. were tw- we were twelve. The idea that a yeah. bunch of twelve-year-olds form a group called Syphilis. Nikki Campbell uh, had it was apparently in a group called Tree Stump Wake. It's extraordinary, really, isn't it? Ian Rankin, the Dancing Pigs, uh, Samuel Fullman, Evil Knocky Men, Squall, Frogspawn Candy, Terminal Beach, Math and Ocus, Come See the Narwhal, and so forth. And uh, Graham Reed. So it was in a group called Scrotum Necrophilia, who came from Newmarket. It's and fantastic. It's just, you know, it's just absolutely amazing. It's a whole, it's a whole kind of region of, uh, I don't know if you call it literature or, you know, invention that is just out there on its own, isn't it? You know, these things. It, well, I was going to say, it's, the, the, the ones that struck me were, were, the, the, were the kind of random words kind of thrown to me, together, which meant to uh, elicit a kind of sense of kind of stoned wonder and goofiness. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you've got, and, and you know that their, their, uh, their ambition would have been one single play on the John Peel show. So you've got the ones I scribbled down with the protoplasmic membrane, the approachable pigeons, carnivorous butterflies, uh, the Mandible Rumpus. That's great. Wow. Vaseline Symphonia, uh, Telepathic Gumboots, Penguin Steak, Aardvark Birthmark, Flat Rabbit. That's Flat Rabbit's brilliant. You can almost date that. Don't you think? They're kind of 1970-71 Marquee Club. Quintessence of Toast and Sexual Furniture. <laughs> Thought they were really good. And there's somebody, somebody in the in the somebody's like the Emil and the Detectives. You know, Frank Interview and the Interrogators, somebody had. Uh, Vic Sinex and the nasal sprays, and I can remember. And I knew some uh, medical students who had a group called Dicky Hart and the Pacemakers. Well, those things are brilliant, aren't they? Is there it's a perfect. difference? Is there a difference, Alex, between kind of real names and names that just bands they're due to do a party or they go, you know, they're going to play at the school dance or whatever, and then somebody says to them quite late in the day, "What's your name?" and they go, "Oh." We haven't really got one or whatever. And so they quickly they quickly magic up some joke name. Is that the case? Or is there a definite difference between a name that's that's supposed to be there to stay and a name that's just there to get you through the weekend? Well, I think Ned's atomic dustbin are, are brief of <laughs> there's there's not really an awful lot of difference. I remember when I was in school um and we were moving up to sixth form. 
we had our band. Um, it's called Blue Blood, which is an awful name. But uh, we were it informed is. that... Well, it's it, awful it, Teetering <laughs> on the edge of awful. Um, we were informed that the rival school who were coming to our Six Forms band uh, were were ready to, to challenge our supremacy. And they were going to go all the way to the top. And this band, this completely threatening band from Studley High School, were called The Badgers. <laughs> and they were obviously convinced that the badgers were going to go all the way through top of the pops and beyond and uh so there's something about their name that was kind of serious they they sort of meant it i suppose that's the point i'm getting at you know is that it, it, when people name their school bands they're kind of trying to take the mickey out themselves before anybody else does is that the case in oh. in the in the naming of themselves that's an interesting theory. Maybe, maybe it is actually. Maybe it is a kind of device, uh, or maybe they just thought, "Well, the, what's the most fearsome animal we can think of? Badger, yeah. badgers <laughs> hard as nails, isn't it?" Well, no, well, I think you're right. Steely Dam are called Leather Canary, weren't they? Wow. And and Pearl Jam are called Mookie Blaylock. You know, uh, Kiss were called Wicked Lester, I think. And you kind of think at some point someone's thinking that's not quite good enough. But there are certain names that, and, and, and the one I've always found really difficult was Prefab Sprout. Because pre, Prefab Sprout sounds like one of those goofy kind of, it that's does. what we call ourselves on Friday night. And they finished up with it, oh, not as bad as the, the, actually, but Prefab Sprout. And they finished up, I think, hobbling themselves throughout their entire career. Because I really like Prefab Sprout's music, but you cannot imagine a South Bank show special on Prefab Sprout. You can't imagine a, a Radio 4 announcer That's saying... That's really true. And we've got, well, this afternoon, a documentary about the incredible music of Prefab... It, you just can't imagine being able to say it. I know what you mean. I know it's entirely what work. you mean. You know, if somebody says... <laughs> shot themselves in the somebody, somebody corners you at a party and says, what kind of music do you like? I can't imagine the first sentence that's going to contain the words Prefab Sprout. It wouldn't. So, it wouldn't. Because yeah. they, I suppose it would be partly because... Anybody who wasn't familiar with them would find it kind of risible, wouldn't they, as a name? Yeah, completely. But but going back to, you know, is is the it's very difficult assessing names in retrospect, isn't it? Because if Led Zeppelin hadn't been successful, you know, I mean, would that now be a ludicrous name? Absolutely, I think it would, because it's to do with familiarity, isn't it? You know, the, 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 you know, Arctic Monkeys, I can remember thinking that was an absolutely dreadful name. It just goes nowhere. I still do think it's dreadful that much, but you're kind of inured to it, aren't you? You're just, it just, once things become familiar, you stop standing outside of them and looking at them in that kind of, in that, uh, you know, um, d- d- disengaged way, and you just accept them. They're just a well, name, the, you know. The, the Beatles is, a, is an awful name. Oh, the Beatles terrible. the worst name ever. But uh, there are certain names I can remember as a kid hearing the name Steppenwolf, obviously, uh, you know, at uh, Herman Hess novel, but I remember thinking, that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, you, you just there are certain names, Foo Fighters, Talking Heads, R.E.M., Van Halen. They're just wonderful names, and you just already, you're off to a good start, you know. Yeah, they just somehow sound confident, don't they? Yeah, completely. You know, in in a way that loads of these don't. Steppenwolf just sound magical and heavy, you yeah. know. And I just thought, I've got to go and hear a group called Steppenwolf. Yeah, you know, it worked, you know. So what's the uh, what's the best band name ever, Alex? The best band name ever. Well, I can tell you, it's not the Pigeon Detectives. No. Um, I think this. I think the Strokes is a great band name. I think there's something oh. really elegant about the Strokes as a as a phrase you know okay 
What about you, Mark? Oh, Best man? I don't know. I think I've always I've always been very taken by Foo Fighters. Well, that was great because it, it has a once you find out what it means, you know, the UFO uh, fighters, isn't it? You know, that, that and all the folklore around that. It, it makes it even more kind of resonant. But it just sounds a beautiful sounding word. It looks good written down, Foo Fighters. I think the best. I think the best name is the Rolling Stones. Okay, it's just yeah. an absolutely brilliant name, and it was from a song, so it, yeah, it yeah, heritage with it, you know, and you can you can shorten it to the stones, all that kind of stuff. It, it yeah. just works. It, it, it appears to it appears to have done quite well by them, doesn't it? Over the way, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the word podcast: prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Uh, so, Dave, whistling is back. I so I understand. Whistling has returned in the shape of Molly Lewis, who's uh, a kind of Los Angeles rising star. And uh, I think won some kind of whistling prize in 2005 or whatever. And has now and made a bit of a reputation, you know, covering gospel songs like uh, Just a Closer Walk with Thee and doing Mozart's The Queen of the Night aria from The Magic Flute and pop classics. <coughs> and she's um, she's now made a major name for herself. And it just made me think, whistling, whistling in pop music. What a lovely oh, thing. Yeah, whistling pre-rock and roll. I mean, Pre-rock and roll. Was always a kind of it was a whole genre, wasn't it? Really, it was. There is even a term for it. You know, the term is no, si- siffleur. Oh, okay. Siffleur is the uh, you know the uh, the the um, you know, they describe the the profession. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, they were there was people who specialised in this in the days of the musical and the vaudeville and so forth, and even to the extent that I you probably don't remember, but I'm old enough to remember that a re- a regular feature of TV variety programs in the 50s and 60s would be a chap called Ronnie Ronald. And Ronnie used to used to you know come out to the audience and, and present as if to sing, but instead he would pucker up and he would he would <laughs> whistle soulfully, you know what I mean? And that's what we considered part of entertainment. God, back I, in don't those days. I remember it, Percy Edwards. Percy Edwards was that a bit later? Uh, yeah, probably a little bit. It was mostly kind of birdsong impersonation, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this woman's bringing it back, and so she's doing it in a slightly more, slightly more soulful, serious vein, isn't she? Really, it's not. It's not end of the pier stuff, is it? No, really? no, it's, it's quite. It's high art, but yeah. also it still doesn't get over the problem which uh, which Brian Ferry had on on the Jealous Guy uh, video, which is that it's very hard to whistle and not look faintly ridiculous. <laughs> Brian Ferry and his kind of tux trying hard to look incredibly cool. Yeah, he's whistling, you know. It's very hard, really. Yes, and the harder you try, the more ridiculous you look, I yeah. suppose. You can't yeah. do it. You can't whistle in a relaxed fashion, can you? you know? No, because you can only have one facial expression if you're whistling anyway. So you're very, very restricted in what you can put across. But my first major memory of it when I was about, I suppose, about 12 was whistling Jack Smith. Do you remember I was Kaiser Bill's Whistling? I was Kaiser Bill's Batman. Batman. Um, and, and he was the. He, that was actually a member of the Mike Sam Singers, and there was no, obviously, no whistling Jack Smith. But there was a a, a very good looking actor called Kobe Wells who was employed to be whistling Jack, and went round the country, obviously unable to whistle. Therefore, m- did an entire mime tour, miming their record. Really? Yeah, yes, that's brilliant. That's extraordinary. But, you, but the whistle, the whistle does turn up, you know, regularly in pop music. I mean, sitting on the dock of the bay, I yeah. think I, the whistle that that was put on later, obviously, because sitting on the dock of the bay was, I think, I'm right in saying, 
was completed after Ota Redding had died, hadn't he? Oh, was it? Yes, I think it was. It, it didn't come out after he died. And I think they fixed it in the studio. And they kind of put on the sound of the uh, of the ocean and so forth. And they oh, put on okay. the sound of the whistling. And so, you know, because partly because that was a wonderful song and so forth, but um, but everything about it had to be poignant. And there was something about the whistle that was sort of naturally poignant, you know. Oh, it is. It is. It's a natural thing to add add to that. So there's it's uh, either or it can be it's kind of carefree. You've got the kind of uh, what a day for a daydream. You've got Georgie Girl, and New Seekers, and you've got that fantastic Peter Bjorn and John song, and Professor Longhair's uh, Go to the Mardi Gras. Then you've got the kind of <coughs> cowboy romance. Do you remember REM did a Harlan County? Do you remember that? And those spaghetti uh, westerns. Uh, uh, and then there's the kind of melancholy. There's Peter Gabriel's Games Without Frontiers and Roy Orbison. Here comes the rain, baby. Walk like an Egyptian, the Bangles, you know. I mean, <coughs> the only problem with your whistling, your whistling. is that it, your whistling is it's very, very strange. There's only one gear, isn't it? Is there any depth and resonance to it? Could you sit through an entire whistling concert? I don't. In terms think of I the could. amount of emotional expression available, I think I don't think I, I could, you know. So I think Molly Lewis is, uh, you know, I wish her all the best, but I think she's going to have to. Get some other string to yeah. her bow, possibly juggle at the same Take time or something job. like that. Yeah, there's got to, yeah. there's got to, there's got to be something else. Yeah. So, uh, what else has been going on this week? Um, I see that uh, Elvis Costello has defended Olivia Rodrigo over charges that she's apparently purloined one of his songs for, which I thought was a bit rich anyway, because yeah, she's written a song called. Um, uh, is it brutal? That's right. Which is meant to be a, a, a rip off of, of Pump It Up. Actually, it's not if you listen to it. Really, I mean, it's a bit similar. But as Elvis says, Pump It Up was stolen from uh, uh, you know subterranean blues. Which Dylan was always said that that was stolen from too much monkey business. Too much. And, then, <laughs> and uh, Chuck Berry, I'm sure, nicked it from somewhere else. Absolutely, because, uh, Chuck Berry. I mean, God knows. I mean, Chuck Berry, songwriting pop, songwriting genius, but. He never sat there and invented any of that stuff out of his head. It was all artful synthesis of, uh, of everything he'd heard before. You know, his first hit, uh, Chuck Berry, is a classic. I mean, it, it, the whole notion of originality in pop music is, is something that ought to be shaken up. Really. Oh, completely. The, the whole idea that you can go to... You can go to a high court judge and they, they will listen to something. They're, they're still arguing about stay away to heaven. Oh, no, they no. all of these years since and, uh, and, uh, and, and think they can judge on this on the basis of these things. Chuck Berry owes his entire career to Maybelline, which is his first big, huge, big hit. That was entirely, and he would, he would admit this himself was taken from a country song called Ida Red, which goes back into the mists of history. Nobody really knows where it came which from. Which is a noble tradition. because Absolutely. In, uh, uh, Rock Around the Clock is basically Hank Williams' Move It On Over, isn't it? I mean, it is, is, if you listen to Move It On Over, it is precisely the same song with slightly different lyrics, which is recorded in 1947. And so also... Seven years later, out comes Rock Around the Hank Clock. Williams, are you... <coughs> You know, Hank Williams didn't sit in his hotel room the day before and make up moving on over. You know what I mean? It, no. It, these things just became part of the act over a long period of time. It's just what originality is, is, is can you hear a new way of doing it? Yeah. That renders it 
unrecognizable, really. You know, that's the thing. But if you trace it back, you can find out how they did it. You know, so. No, I, I couldn't agree. But there's a real difference between your Noel Gallagher sitting down with Dwight Shaker Maker and thinking, I'm going to listen to I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing. And I'm going to take the chord sequence for which he got sued, and uh, and the same with whatever and uh, how sweet to be an idiot by by Neil Innes. There's a real difference between that and John Lennon, who always said when he wrote uh, "All I Got to Do," which I love, that he'd sat down to write a song like Arthur Alexander. Yeah, yeah. But at no point in that can you see or hear or you know a, a, an Arthur Alexander specific chord change no. or a lyric or a, or a, a vocal riff or anything. It just has the spirit of one of those songs. And that's a real art, I think. It's fantastic. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah. So, you know, layoff of Olivia Rodrigo and everybody else who, you know. Precisely. They're all standing on the shoulders of previous generations. That's that's the yeah. nature of popular music. So I've been, I've been. Oh, actually, we were talking about date nights with uh, with old. Uh, oh, actually, further to the whistling thing, I just found this. Of course, Neil Finn had an album called "Try Whistling This." Do you remember? Oh, that? great! Yeah, yeah. Which I think has got whistling on it somewhere. I have to listen to it afterwards. Talking, talking last week about. Um, Having date nights with your record collection, uh, you know, d- d- devoting some over overdue quality time. Yeah, records that you've got and you haven't played in absolute ages, and uh, you know, particularly during lockdown, and uh, and suddenly finding things in them. I had a couple of things this this week. I started playing this, a tribe called Quest, the anthology. Do you do you know this? I which, don't know. No. Which has got the likes of Can I Kick It, an award tour, and you know, it's kind of mid nineties hip hop, I suppose. And um, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. It's absolutely fantastic. I remember enjoying it at the time because one of the things that was revolutionary about this this music was that it was um, 
It was it was kind of a new way of doing sounds. It struck me, you know, the, the kind of bass sound on these things was something you you couldn't work out where it had come from at all. You know, it didn't sound like a normal bass. Did it? You know, was it coming out of a machine? Was it the bass? Was it the drums or whatever? And that was just it's immensely thrilling still to this day. But the amazing thing is to to reflect on the fact that uh, can I kick it, which pops up absolutely everywhere still to this day, you know, on movies and uh, sports uh, broadcasts and so forth. Of course, it's, I was reading the interview with uh, Tribe Called Quest, and there was a huge hit. They didn't make a bean from it. Why didn't they make a bean from it? Because they had sampled Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side. So That's right, the, I remember that. All the beans went to Lou Reed, right? All absolutely, which is disgraceful in itself because what they actually nicked was Herbie Flowers' bass part, which in fact I think Herbie Flowers then sued Lou Reed for at some stage and settled for a percentage of quite well, rightly because that's the signature like, that makes the sound absolutely. You know? The idea that, that Lou Reed was trousering a fat load of cash for something yeah. that he effectively didn't do apart from write one chord, one chord change. Well, it's the sound, it's the sound that they're after. The, it's the sound completely, and of course, you know, they. They made more money out of. I mean, they, 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 there'd been loads of cases of this. They make far yeah. more money out of it, out of it being stolen for a hip hop record. Yeah, forty years later, than they would ever have made back in the day when they, when the market was smaller and so forth. But we took the we took the film Manzanera, weren't we, the other week? And uh, wasn't it a film Manzanera uh, from a solo album of his? There, there was an instrumental. Which was because he talked about this, didn't he? It was a sample for a Kanye West record. Or yeah. whatever. I think he made more money out of that than he made. Huge man, because the sales <laughs> are so, so much more than a, no yeah. disrespect to him, a yeah. Phil Manzanera solo album, you know? Yeah, yeah. Incredible. So have you have you been uh, spending any quality time with have you the only lit a single thing candle? The only thing I dug, dug up was because we did a, um, a birthday pod with a lovely guy called David Cook. In Portland, in Oregon, oh, and right, we were talking right. about Decemberist. I went back and listened to this great record, which is called "The Crane Wife." Oh yes, yes, yes. and I loved it. I'd just forgotten how much I liked it. He's, a, he, you know, Colin Malloy is a kind of cabin dwelling Portland, Oregon, Oregon songwriter with a very kind of literary persuasion. His sister actually is a, a male Malloy, so is a novelist. And um, it's very literary, and it's got songs about Japanese folk tales. It's got songs about the American Civil War. Um, it's got yarns about uh, murderous Ulster loyalist gangs in the mid seventies. It's got murder ballads, you know, and I just, I just, I love him actually. He's, they also made that great kind of rock opera, if we dare say, it's called Hazards of Love a few years later, but I love him. And if you like those kind of songwriters who just invent fictional characters and explore imaginary worlds, people like Paddy McAloon and, and Richard Thompson, Robbie Robertson, I think I, I just I, I recommend him. I think he's fantastic. I tell really you what, one of the, seriously, one of, so the, Portland. One, one of the benefits of us uh, doing these uh, word in your attic chats with people whose uh, birthday it is, Patreon supporters, um, it, where we get them online like this, and we get them to take us through their their records and their souvenirs, and and they finish up by recommending the the album that they think is the best record ever made and so forth. It's genuinely, after almost every one of these, I go, you know, I have to go and listen to that. I haven't I listened too. to it in years, yeah. you know. And I, I've done it quite a few times. So if you've always wanted to, to get Mark Ellen to listen to your record, 
the one way to do it is to turn up as a when it's your birthday. But you've got to be a Patreon supporter, first of all. And if you want to be a Patreon supporter, just go to patreon.com slash word in your ear, and you'll find further details there of how you can do the same. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. So a lovely little piece on the onion, uh, (laughs) which is... God, the onion's great. It's so funny. It's so funny. It's, uh, it's brilliant. And it says, in a blistering condemnation of the 24-year-old multi-platinum recording artist, a coalition of music critics and pop culture writers held a press conference Monday to excoriate Lord, explaining <laughs> that they just felt it was time for them to begin laying into her as hard as they could. Lord, quote, Lord has gone almost a decade without anyone calling her a disgrace, writing a thick piece on her toxicity or launching into a social media campaign to tear her down. So she really has is due for all that to start happening. I thought that was really funny. Oh, it's brilliant. It's such a funny it's brilliant. And the, the Onion's pastiches of music are better than everything else it does. And it does everything else really it does. well. It, it does. does a brilliant thing. Go and look it up. About about how there was a terrible incident at a, at a record store signing, where there were too many record store clerks, as they call them, you know, shop yeah. assistants, whatever, turning up for a Yola Tango signing, <laughs> and, and about how there was a kind of there was a mad rush, and then at the end there was just a pile of black frame spectacles. <laughs> nobody, nobody can work out who's who's. Oh god, they're so that's good. so brilliant, isn't it? Because that just so perfectly sums up the kind of core appeal of yeah. that's the kind of people who buy their records. Yeah, right? absolutely. Oh, that's lovely. So uh, no, I, I, the I, only thing I thought was just just one thing was that was that we was talking about the idea of backlashes. I was trying to think: Are there any bands? I mean, about the, the general thing is you get immense applause if you're lucky. You get a, a, a massive kicking and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, a thorough rejection by the media, and then you get ignored. And I thought, Pet Shop Boys, interesting case in point. Pet Shop Boys, have this, has there ever been a backlash? Pet Shop Boys just arrived. Not that I'm aware of. And I'm just, they've never been ignored. There's always been permanent, warm support for everything they did. I think it's exceptional. Yeah, let's start one, Neil. <laughs> we, let's do it. No, no, they we need won't. one. They need one. They need oh, no. one. It's the yeah, only yeah. thing missing in their career. I've been reading this. Have you read this? Chaos, Charles Manson, the CIA, and the Secret History of the 60s by Tom O'Neill. And uh, Manson, once again, comes round, uh, you know, as as this whole thing does regularly. Because I think once, what's he called? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Tarantino, right. Tarantino film. film. I, think it's, I think it's on Netflix from Wednesday. So if you haven't seen it, really have you seen it, film. Have you seen it Alex? Film. I haven't, no, no. And I'm not the world's biggest Tarantino fan, but I think it's really good. And do you know the the reason I think it's really good? Do you know the person I've just, I've only just recently discovered that I really like? Brad Pitt. He's fantastic. I like Brad Pitt. He's so good. Once you get past his his extraordinary handsomeness, you think, my God, underrated. He's 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 funny. He's, you know, he's just brilliant. Do you remember him in Thelma and Louise? Uh, Pretty much his first big role. Yeah, he was. He was terrific. Yeah. And uh, no, he's he's good in in everything I've seen him recently. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is is fantastic. Kind of, it sort of dives in, you know, the Manson, the the 69 Hollywood is the the background for it. But this book is, is kind of weird. Because he he was commissioned to write this as an article in Premier magazine, the movie magazine, in 1998. 
And they wanted to publish it in 1999, which was going to be the 30th anniversary of the Manson killings, which, of course, as any pop culture fan knows, took place on the same weekend that the Little Beatles had their pictures taken walking across the zebra crossing Abbey Road. So if you want if you want a punctuation point for the end of the 60s, that's your kind of that's your ideal thing. You know, it's midway between Woodstock and Altamont. You know, that happens. Um but uh, the uh, the the story, the explanation of the murders and the terrible carnage, you know, that the Manson family inaugurated was was the narrative was kind of established by Vincent Bugliosi, who was the, the district attorney who prosecuted them. And like all American district attorneys, very ambitious political, very ambitious young man, you know, and and the, and and to to prosecute on a high profile case is, is a fantastic opportunity to bring your name to the to the fore. And he subsequently wrote a book called Hell to Skelter, which is a massive, it's the biggest best-selling true crime book ever, apparently. And he's the theory as to why the Manson family embarked on their killing spree is because Manson, who, who, who harbored a career as a potential songwriter and performer and was a mate of the Beach Boys and so forth, uh, that he'd been promised, felt he'd been promised a uh, recording contract by Terry Melcher. Uh, and that Terry May was Terry Melcher's house that Sharon Tate and her friends were staying. CeeLo Drive. CeeLo Drive, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that uh, Manson sent his followers off to, to start carnage, uh, thinking Mel Melcher was still in the house. Uh, and he wasn't. He, he'd gone somewhere, gone somewhere else. And so that's the narrative that was kind of passed down, you know, all through the years. And this book kind of sets out to debunk it, really, because he, he, he finds evidence of Melcher having spent time with Manson after the killings and before their arrests, you know, and all, and all kinds of things. Anyway, he the point is he starts his story in 1998, starts looking into it, clearly misses the deadline in 1999. So there's your 30th anniversary gone by, you know. Keeps on working on it. You know, somebody says to him, don't let this case just take over your life. Boy, it took over his life. And he was still doing it 10 years later. Missed the 40th anniversary. By the time he got the 50th anniversary, the magazine had gone away, you know what I mean? Yeah, he started yeah. wanting their money back because they paid him. I mean, it's extraordinary insight into how American magazine journalism worked back in the day, Mark, which would really appeal to you. You know, they was kind of paid a retainer to do, the, to do this stuff, you know. I know, the like, amount of money for research and... That's absolutely incredible. Absolutely extraordinary. Deep investigative journey. And and then the people he, he people he talks to, you know, some of them die, and you know, uh, you know, uh, Bulliosi dies, Terry Melcher dies, all yeah. these people. And and you know, the amount of information coming in from every all points of the compass just grows absolutely all the time. And so it ends up with this book, which came out, I think, last year. And of course, the funny thing is, I don't know if you see here, it's written by Tom O'Neill with Dan. Dan Peepenbring, and he clearly had to get somebody else to write the book because he just had so much material. Couldn't make sense of it. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, he, yeah. Could, he couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't hold it together. But I have to confess. I mean, who knows why these? You know, 
misanthropic well, loons did what they yeah, did. Yeah, but Mike Love wrote a, a memoir, which he, he suggests, I think he implies that that was the case, actually. Uh, whether or not for commercial reasons or whether he meant it, I don't know. That that's why that's why uh, you know that Charles Manson was avenging uh, the fact that he didn't get a record deal from Terry Melcher, and also Terry Melcher was told by his mum Doris Day. Doris Day, when he told him stories about uh, told her stories about uh, Manson and their guns and their knives and stuff, he she said you must move out of that house. Yeah, and yeah. he moved because she told him to. And also uh, uh, the Mike Love book points out that one day. Dennis dropped off Terry Melcher at his home in Silo Drive and that uh, Manson was in the car. So Manson knew where he oh, lived. Man, and Manson also, there. Manson was very aggrieved because the Beach Boys actually covered one of his songs called Cease to Exist. Yeah, it's on the B-side. It's a B-side, It's that's on the right. B-side, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then they didn't credit him. So, but you, so he was to, pretty wound up. You have to be reminded what what royalty Terry Melcher was. Doris, Doris Day's son was like know, me. Like stars, me, the son of I can't imagine. It's like me, the son of Kylie Minogue. Or, you know, I know. absolutely. That's Terry Melcher, and um, I've actually got two Terry Melcher albums. <laughs> I realize any good? <laughs> no, I've listened to him for years. Um, Blindingly handsome, like really handsome. Yeah, yeah. And, just uh, say, he looks. He's, he's spitting image of Ray Purchase from. Uh, Matt Berry's toast in that in that photo. Yes, he is. <laughs> is Ray bloody purchase. Yes, he is. So Terry Melcher, Terry Melcher, incredibly well connected, Hollywood royalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And clearly very wealthy, and used to go around town with Dennis Wilson. Okay, do you think these guys had any trouble getting sex <laughs> with? Your, with, with you know, where they, Nobody you said know. I don't fancy yours much. <laughs> so, yeah. no, girl. Yeah, I got my ugly mate with yeah, me. Yeah, you know. yeah, my yeah. ugly, slightly less wealthy mate. You know, yeah. they they used to go around Hollywood with another guy called Greg Jacobson, and they used to go under the name of the Golden Penetrators. Nice. Oh lord, they, they had so much. Three sex. more from them. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Terry Melcher. Terry Melcher lived in the house with. Do you know whose girlfriend was? Candice Bergen. Oh, that's right. That's right. Daughter of Edgar Bergen. Again, Hollywood royalty. Yeah. You know, these people were just incredibly privileged. And so you read this book and you can't believe a word anybody says to you in this book because they're either small time criminals who are a dishonest as a breed, Hollywood royalty who are dishonest as a breed, or lawyers who are dishonest as a brick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who <laughs> will say absolutely anything they can get away with saying, you know. So how do you believe well, they that? Come up with a come up with a book that uh, that you want to believe. I mean, it's fantastic, isn't it? It's, it's, like, it's, it's that Hollywood Babylon, really, isn't it? Kind of updated. Well, it's a, you can kind of see why, going coming back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you can see why Quentin Tarantino made a film using that as the background. Completely. Because it, it's so kind of resonant of all yeah. kinds of things you know um so as i say that that i think that i think it's on netflix from it is from an next incredible week. film and the very clever thing is that you do see manson at one point but you only see him for about i don't know 20 seconds or something yeah so he's very cleverly played into into the background it's a fantastic yeah. film yeah <coughs> so any other business have we got anything we need to uh cover new patrons uh, Yes. Yeah, we, we, do, we do indeed. Uh, we'd like to welcome uh, Marie Griffiths. Hello, Marie. Marie Hello, Marie. Griffiths. Very good to have you on board. Is that, sorry, sorry, is that Murray or Marie? Marie, Marie. Thank you, Marie. Marie, <coughs> Marie. Uh, James Anthony Collingwood. Hello. It's rather, for, rather formal, full name. Very good. 
Edgar Robinson. Edgar. Uh, we Good like an Edgar. We, I think that was our first Edgar. It is indeed our first Edgar. I can, I can, uh, I can vouch for this. Uh, Ed Pritchard. Ed Pritchard. Good. Hello, Ed. Maybe short for Edgar. We don't know. Good. <laughs> uh, and Wes Shelbourne, who's an Access All Areas tier patron. Uh, all right. Good man. So we'll be celebrating. Special thank you to Wes. We'll be, we'll celebrating. be having a birthday with him. Uh, yeah. yeah. Indeed. Indeed. We'll in due course. We'll look forward to that. So uh, July the 17th, if you haven't already got your tickets, do so to our Word in the Park. Uh, and we're delighted to say that we've uh, been joined. Uh, so I guess that day, Gary Crowley, Leslie Ann Jones, Barney Hoskins, Danny Baker, and now and Mark Lewis. Mark Lewis. Beatles Lane extraordinaire. So there is no better way to celebrate the return to uh, physical interaction or in-person <laughs> appearance. There will be any physical reinteraction. It's all very carefully distanced and, uh, and all very pleasant. Then that occasion, which is July the 17th, in the afternoon between 2 and 4.30. If you haven't got your tickets, do so. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.